Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. What a day, huh? I hope you all got the grill ready for today. It's going to be like, you know, you know, you're a, you know, you're a foodie. <laughs> when you're like looking at the weather report, and you're like, oh, that's a great day to bust the grill out. And... <clears throat> all right, we are uh, in the book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible, and we are in chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Uh, and this is a, a very, very interesting chapter because it's almost like a, a, a pause, like the pause button has been hidden, uh, has been hidden, has been hit on everything that's happening historically and with God dealing with the children of Israel, with the nation of Israel uh, through Moses. Uh, and, and this is almost like a, um, uh, what's it called in between two acts? The, uh, the intermission, right. It's like an intermission takes place here. Uh, as all these things are culminating. But uh, let's start with a word of prayer first. Lord, we ask and pray that you'd cover this portion for us. Lord, we, we ask, Lord, for uh, your spirit to intercede, Lord, on our behalf and help us to understand, Lord, what the scriptures would say to us today, Father, uh, not just collectively, Lord, but each of us individually, Lord. We pray that each person here would be uh, seeking your face today, Lord. Uh, and that your your spirit would be present, Lord, to speak back to them, Lord. We ask that you would reveal yourself to their hearts. We pray, Father, that you would encourage them this day, Lord, challenge them this day, uh, instruct them, Lord. We we pray that you would allow your word to do uh, everything that you've you you gave it to us to do today, Father, and that we would not hinder uh, your spirit, Lord, by our unbelief or our unwillingness to be led or to be changed by you, Father. Uh, have your way with us today, Lord. Cause your face to shine upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, the big picture is Moses has been up on Mount Sinai for 40 days, 40 nights. He's been up there receiving the laws of God. God has been speaking to Moses about the commandments concerning the laws, the ceremonial laws, the, 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 some of the dietary laws, but mostly about the covenant, the laws concerning worship. And he's given to him all the instructions for the constructing of the tabernacle itself and for all the articles of worship that go along with the tabernacle, the ark of the testimony, the menorah, the table of showbread, the table of incense, the altar of sacrifice, all of these different aspects of the tabernacle that God is giving to Moses. And as we go through and we talked about the fact that each of them is revealing to us uh, a different aspect of God's nature. Uh, and, and, and more importantly than that, it's a model, it's an earthly model of what is, what is in heaven. Uh, and, and, and of course, I'm sure it's absolutely, you know, when you read through the scriptures and, and especially when you're going through some of the prophets and they have these visions of seeing God or being in his presence and they explain it and you're reading through it and it sounds very odd. And you have to remember that we are talking about earthly men. Okay, earthly men that God revealed himself to and spoke to and allowed them to see things and to know things, maybe not to understand things in the Old Testament, but to see things and to know things and to write down things which are really indescribable for us. Uh, we have to always remember that God is, is, is so far beyond us. Uh, to, to claim that we, that we know God's heart, to claim that we know everything about God is really arrogant. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that I think is, is easy for us to fall into. You know, we've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you almost start to feel like you have this monopoly on the understanding of the things of the Lord. And certain things will happen or take place in your life where you'll realize, oh, geez, I guess I didn't know what I think I knew. 
you know, about God and about his nature. I don't think that there's all of the things that we know and love about our God, his graciousness, his loving kindness, his compassion, his, 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 uh, his ability uh, to forgive. I, I think that those things we just see a, uh, just a tiny speck of. I don't think that we could ever, we'll never know or understand fully the, the glory of who God is. I mean, you think about the fact that the angels who have been in, in heaven with God since he created them, however many eons ago this was, uh, and then when we get to the book of Revelation, the, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ in the church, which is the last book of the Bible, which, which took place around 70 AD or somewhere around there, uh, and we see this scene in heaven with these angels that have been there with God for eons, and they're just in his presence, they're just compelled to just continually worship him. Uh, and they're angels, you know, there's, 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 they're glorified beings. And yet being in the presence of God, they're compelled continually at all times to continually be worshiping him. Uh, you know, when we think about heaven, when we think about spiritual things, we automatically, just like as Americans, we kind of take everything and all these things that are happening in the world and we put it into our perspective, you know, and, and we look at the Bible the same way a lot of times. Uh, and we look at heaven the same way and our understanding of God, we try to relate to him as from us to him. And so sometimes we completely misunderstand or misrepresent the nature of God or who God is. To really know God and to really then be able to relate to other people on behalf of God, first we have to understand God. First we have to know God. We have to approach God and, and from his standpoint, from his perspective, and not from our own. Uh, and and the, the, the fact of the matter is, is sometimes that leaves us just scratching our heads. You know, there's so many things that happen. There's things that take place and there's things that are in the word that I, I wonder about. And you read commentaries and you study about it and they are wondering about it. Uh, there's, there's, there's things that God has given us in his word that we might know his nature, but we will never fully and truly know who God is until we see him face to face and we're with him one day. Uh, but, but here is God relating to Moses and he's telling him all of the aspects of worship and all of the things that the children of Israel must do in order to approach him in worship because he's a holy God. And the situation is, and the same situation and problem that's been for mankind since the dawn of time is that we are separated from God, not because God doesn't love us, not because God doesn't want to be in our presence, but because each of us, as the Bible says, has sin in our lives. We all have sin. The Bible says all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible also says that if we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Uh, and it says that the truth is not in us. Uh, anyone that comes to God has to understand that we have to approach him from the standpoint of you are a holy God and I ain't. Right? I am not holy. I am not righteous. I am a sinner. And that's why I'm separated from God. Any human being in the world who's separated from God, it's not because of any other reason than they are covered in sin, just like everybody else, and they have not yet come to God through Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the cross. And when God is giving Moses all of these articles of worship and all of these things concerning the tabernacle, it's painting for us a picture of that which must be done, that which must be accomplished in order for sinful man to come to a holy God. There has to be sacrifice. There has to be a shedding of blood. There has to be things that have to take place for us to be able to come into his presence and worship him. 
And all of this ultimately, as we know, is fulfilled through the man Jesus Christ who came to be our prophet, our priest, our king, but also our sacrifice. And the fact that he raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father means that he is a living sacrifice. And what that means for us is that every single day when you wake up, you are freshly atoned for. Every single day that we wake up, we are freshly atoned for. That is the great glory and honor and privilege of being a born-again Bible-believing Christian, as we call it. Okay? The whole thing is that under the new covenant, since Jesus Christ died on the cross once and for all, we, when we put our faith in him, are covered in that blood, we're covered in that sacrifice for all time. And what that means is, no matter how bad I blow it, I can immediately get up and acknowledge it and move forward in God, knowing that I'm already forgiven because of what Jesus has accomplished. I don't have to go to some special tabernacle, and I don't have to bring a bunch of special sacrifices, and I don't have to do all of these ceremonial cleansings in order to approach God so that I don't get smoked. Right? I can just get up and I can say, well, that was terrible. Lord, forgive me. It's me. I'm back again. Hey, can I can... move on? That's what grace is. That's what mercy is. And so here Moses is up on the mountain. He's receiving all of these commandments from God. And then as we read, he comes down. And what does he find the children of Israel doing? They've created this golden calf. They're worshiping it. And they are indulging in every sort of debaucherous behavior you can imagine. At the foot of Mount Sinai, no less. Where they had told Moses before he went up, you go up and you talk to God and all that he commands we will do. And Moses goes up and, and does all of this, and then as he's coming down, what does he find the children of Israel doing? Blowing it in the worst ways you could possibly imagine. And Moses is frustrated, and God's heart is broken, and that's where we pick up in verse 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hevite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. These are all the promises, remember, that God had already given the children of Israel, going back to Abraham. For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come into your midst and in one moment consume you. Now therefore take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. And Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. Now, this is not the tabernacle. This is not the tabernacle that God had instructed Moses to have built and, and to erect uh, in the midst of the camp. This is something completely different and completely separate. And you have to keep in our minds uh, what's happening here. God has given Moses the law. The children of Israel have gravely sinned against God. Everything that God had just talked to Moses about, they have embodied in doing the very opposite things, 
worshiping false gods, breaking all of the laws that God had commanded them not to break, doing the things that God had commanded them not to do. And now there's this pause moment where God is saying to Moses, let's, let's just stop and, and, and think about what we're going to do here. <laughs> and it's almost like a parent to go into your room while your father and I discuss what we're going to do to you, you know, because of what you've done. And, and, and there's this moment of gravity and levity. And the, this putting off of the ornaments is, is, a, is, a, is a, uh, a symbol of, of mourning, uh, which goes along with repentance. You remember when the prophets would always say to the people, rend your hearts, not your garments. Because ceremonially, it was common in, 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 when you were involved in a funeral procession or a dirge, or you were at a funeral, to show your great sadness in mourning, you would, you would tear your garments. Or something horrible or, or awful happened in your life, you would display your horror by rending your garments. And it became a ceremonial thing. And people would do it just like people are with everything in life, right? It became a show. It became a religious show. Look how pious I am. Oh, I'm mourning over. And God says, rend your hearts. Rend your hearts. I don't need your torn robes. I want your heart to be torn in a spiritual sense. Rend your hearts. Show me true repentance. But the putting off of the ornaments here is a symbol of that. And I love it because it's all of the things that you would put on to make yourself presentable before the other people and the presence of God. To go into the presence of God, you put yourself together and you put on your ornaments so that you are putting forth a, a, a good image, basically. And God is saying, put all that away. Put all those ornaments away. You know, in the New Testament, when uh, the apostle talks about orderly worship and he says, I don't want women to come into the church adorned with gold and jewelry and braided hair and all of these things. Uh, I want their beauty to come from their hearts. He was not trying to specifically set up some sort of a dress code. It's amazing how we can understand that the gospel, that the good news of Jesus Christ is a spiritual thing and something that deals with the matters of the heart. And then we can take something else from the same portion of scripture and try to make it completely about some religious code. You know, so there's churches that wouldn't allow women to wear jewelry. And there's churches that wouldn't allow women to braid their hair. You know, I see your hair's braided today, Jezebel, you know. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying was, I want there to be a beauty women. Okay? And, and, and there's a lot of trash that's been talked over the centuries, but especially over the last few decades about the Bible being a misogynistic or sexist book. It is the farthest thing from that. It is the Christian faith that came along and sought to liberate women. Do you understand how revolutionary it was for someone in the, in, in, in the times of the Roman Empire to say there's no difference between men and women? Nobody was saying that anywhere, ever. There's no difference between men and women. And the Bible comes along, this new faith comes along that comes from Jesus Christ, from his, his disciples spreading this new faith, and they're saying, in God, there is no male or female. There's no sex. There's no race. We are all one. We are all one in God through Jesus Christ. It's, it's revolutionary. It's liberating. And it's amazing that we live in a time now in the United States where so much emphasis is being put on women's rights and on women's liberation, so-called. 
And yet when I look around, that's not what I see. What I see is women that are still being confined more maybe than ever to looking a certain way or or dressing a certain way or living up to a certain standard. Hey, ladies, guess what? You're beautiful. You are beautiful in the eyes of God, always. You are precious. You are treasures. And so when the Lord is saying, I don't want your beauty to come from outward adornment, he's not saying don't put on makeup. Or don't put on jewelry. What he's saying is, your heart is beautiful. Who you are is beautiful. And Christ Jesus in you is beautiful. Let that shine through. Um, I kind of got off the beaten path there. So uh, Moses now comes down off the mountain. This is what he finds. And God is saying, let's take a time out and figure out what we're going to do. And again, God relates to Moses and God speaks to Moses to elicit a response from him. In the chapter before, when he said, let me alone that my anger may burn hot against the people and I will consume them and I'll make a nation out of you. And then Moses said, no, don't do that, because if you do that, then the Egyptians are going to say, they brought him out of Egypt and brought him into the wilderness just to kill him. And then you're going to look bad. So don't do that, God. And God, God of course, says, okay. You know, it wasn't as God was all angry and, and mad, and then Moses caused him to change his mind. God was eliciting a response from Moses. God was allowing Moses to show the grace and the mercy. The sin that they have done is worthy of judgment. Moses, let me alone that my anger may burn hot. Oh, no, but Lord, let people know you for your goodness, for your graciousness. In the same way here, God is saying to Moses, I'm not going to go with you up to the, I'll send my angel before you, but I'm not going to go with you up to the land. I'll deliver it into your hands. I'll do all the things I promised, but I'm not going to go with you, Moses, lest I consume these people along the way because they're stiff-necked. And Moses says, well, we're going to get to that point. Um, so where are we? Verse seven, Moses took his tent, pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass, this is, this is a great, a great portion of scripture. It came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. And so we have this moment in history before the law is implemented Before the articles of the tabernacle, the tabernacle itself are built and erected in the midst of the camp, and before the sacrificial sacrificial worship system begins, and after the sin with the golden calf, Moses takes a tent, puts it outside of the camp. It says, far away from the camp. I don't know how far is far, but far away from the camp, off in the distance, there's a tent, there's a tabernacle. Put off your ornaments. Put off all of the pretense. Put off all the things that you put on to make others think of you a certain way. And if you want to seek the Lord, he'll be out there. That's where he's going to be. And it's this moment of freedom that the children of Israel never had under the law. Where they could go without any ceremonial washings, without any sacrifices in hands. They could go out to this tent, this simple tent. It was Moses' tent that he set up, and they could seek the Lord's face. Almost in the midst of their greatest sin, that God's showing his greatest grace and what he was ultimately going to accomplish through Jesus Christ. 
So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. There's a couple of things here uh, I want to talk about. First is that it says in chapter, or excuse me, in verse 7, it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord did what? Went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. Verse 8, but here's what actually happened. Most people, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses and the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped each man, notice, in his tent door. In his tent door. But... And of verse 11, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. And so we have two different reactions to the Lord. This is what I want to talk about here. First, we have Moses, as God is interceding and speaking to Moses. And then we have this open invitation to the people. Anyone who wants to seek the Lord can go to the tent. And I'm sure that there were people that did. But the vast majority of people, what do they continue to do? They stand, each of them, in their own tent door... And they watch Moses come and go, and they see the pillar of cloud, and they worship at their tent door. Most of them never go out to the tabernacle, to the tent. Most of them never go out. There it is. God's there. The pillar of cloud is there. And there's an invitation that anyone who wants to seek the Lord can go there. And they stay home. And they stay at the door of their tent. And they watch Moses and they're interested in what's going on. And they worship. But they never go to the tent. It's fascinating to me. And I think the major difference between most of the people and Joshua is that Joshua had seen something. I want to go to, um, let's see if I can find it here. Exodus chapter, back to chapter, chapter, excuse me, 24, verses 9 to 13, okay, there's this incredible portion, uh, Exodus chapter 24, verses 9 to 13, Exodus 24, 9 to 13, then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you the tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. 
And I think Joshua, after he experienced the presence of God in his life, was never, ever the same. Well, we know that from Scripture. He was never the same. And I think it's easy for us as Christians in this day and age to imagine that if there was an open invitation to go out to the tent where the pillar was, where Moses was being met by God, and I could go out there too, I would be there, right? Like Joshua, never departing from the tent. Because I understand the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ. But I think that the people were stuck in this. They were so afraid, they were so afraid of who they saw God to be, what his commandments were, the ones they already knew, and what they had done, what they had done with the golden calf, that even though there was an invitation given, you can come out and you can seek the Lord out here. They were too afraid to do that. Because you know what I thought, I think? I think that they thought, if I go out there, God's going to kill me. If I go out there, with what I've done, you know what I mean? I was the one like, you know, fashioning the hoof on the golden calf, you know what I mean? Or I was like the lead debaucherer, you know, in, the, in, the, in, their, in their idolatry and their revelry that, that was taking place at the foot of the mountain. And man, if I go out there, God's going to consume me. And imagine in this moment what was missed. What was missed by each person. The worst sinner amongst them where God had given this one moment in time where he had said, anyone who seeks me, who wants to search after me, can come out to the tent. And it's just, it's just a completely off in left field. It's Moses' tent. It's outside the camp. Remember what was put outside the camp? All the things, the parts of the sacrifice that were no longer of any use. People who were unclean were put outside of the camp. And that's where this tent is set up. And God says, I want anyone who wants to seek me who wants to search for me to come out to this tent. And the people are so afraid that they stand at their doors and they never experience what Joshua would experience. Listen, God wants each one of us, every single one of us, to have a personal, real experience with him. If you've never had that, I, I urge you, I, I can't, encourage you enough to seek after that, to seek after uh, an experience, a, 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 a meeting, something where you have, um, uh, where God intercedes in your heart and in your life. It changes you forever. And God wants everyone to have that. God wants everyone to have that. And I think that so many Christians in the world today are either content to stand at the doorway of their tent looking afar off and saying, yeah, I like all that, and yeah, I even worship from here, but I'm afraid to approach it. For whatever reason, when that's all that God wants, and that's the relationship that we have every day that's available to us through Jesus Christ, that we can go out and we can seek Him and we can find Him and have an experience with him that will change us forever. I want to read a portion to you out of Jeremiah. And one of, part, of this, part of this verse we, we say all the time, but I think the rest of it is very important. This is Jeremiah chapter 29, 
verses 10 to 14. And the children of Israel, of course, uh, are in Babylon at this point in time. They've been in the Babylonian captivity, and God is speaking to them through the prophets, saying, Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you. And, and I, I just I screwed it up. This is before... Sorry, not during. This is before the Babylonian captivity. And Jeremiah is prophesying about the Babylonian captivity. But here's what God says. After 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. But it continues. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. I, 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 want, I want these things, by the way. I want to call upon him. I want to go to him. I want to pray to him. And I definitely want this last part. And I will listen to you. And here's what God says. And you will seek me and find me. When? When you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. And this is really what Jesus was teaching the people. When Jesus came and he began talking to these people who had been brought up in the Jewish faith with all of the ceremonies and traditions and the sacrificial system, and God and Jesus was teaching the people, no, God wants you, personally you, from your heart to seek after him. If you're willing to repent, if you're willing to acknowledge that you're a sinner to God and to seek after him, you'll be found by him. He will, you will find him and you will have relationship with him. But God is not concerned with all of your outward religious and ceremonial things. He's concerned with what's happening in your heart. God wants to deal with you at the core of who you are. And there's this idea here in Scripture where God is always saying to His people, and this is you and me too. The nature of God hasn't changed where He's always calling out to us and crying out to us and saying, I want to give you something you've never had. A joy and a peace and a contentment that you've never experienced in this world. But it's not something that's just given willy-nilly. It's something that's given to seekers. Um, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 10 to 17, Jesus has just told the famous parable of the sower. The sower went out and sowed the seed, and some fell on all these different kinds of soils. And so all these, different, uh, all these different things happened. Some fell amongst the rocks, it was choked out. Some fell along the path, and the birds got it. Some fell amongst the fallow soil, it shot up quickly, and then quickly died away because it had no depth, no place for the roots to go. And some fell in good soil, this famous parable. And afterwards, the disciples came to him and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? In other words, like, Jesus, why don't you just tell them? Like, why do you have to say the parable? Why don't you just say the thing? Why do you say the parable? And this is a very interesting portion of Scripture because Jesus says this, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has 
to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. See, Jesus knew the heart. He knew that the very people that were crying out, that were chanting his name, Jesus, Jesus, he's the greatest, I think he's the Messiah, he's the greatest thing that's ever happened. Because he was healing people, and because he was feeding the 5,000, and doing all of these amazing, wonderful things, these same people, when Jesus began to teach them the true gospel, the true gospel and what it really means to be a follower of God, and that he wants your heart, and all of your religion is not good enough, they all turned on him. And so many of the same people that were chanting, Jesus, Jesus, were later going to chant, crucify him, crucify him. And so Jesus says, therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. In other words, they were going to hear Jesus, they were going to see Jesus, and because they were unwilling to change fundamentally from their heart, you will not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Now, here's what Jesus says to his disciples. But, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And Jesus isn't just speaking to his disciples then. This is Jesus speaking to us today. What does it take to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What do I have to do to be a Christian? What do I have to do to be a follower of Jesus? You have to want to be. It sounds so easy. You have to want to be. Any endeavor in your life, something that you love, some sport or, or some business or something that is just something that you love and is a passion of yours, you want this thing. Remember, guys, when you're pursuing your wives? When you wanted her? Oh, my goodness, the things you would do. And there's no length you wouldn't go. And you're writing poetry. You're a caveman. You're sitting there writing poetry, right? Or whatever, it to whatever made her happy, whatever made her smile. Because you wanted her. The things that we love in this life. The sacrifices that we're willing to make for the things that we take enjoyment from or pleasure from. And yet so often we find this horrible truth in our hearts. But when it comes to the things of, the God, of God, a lot of times we're just like, eh, eh, eh. And the reason that we see that such, in such stark contrast to what's happening in places like China and the Sudan and Iran is because it costs them there. You don't just decide, yeah, I'll be a Christian. I got 
All right, I'll see you later. No, no, no. If you're a Christian, you have counted the cost. And there is a price you're willing to pay to chase after that, to follow after that. Well, we don't have anything like that, and I'm thankful for it. But what happens is this terrible thing is that we get so lulled to sleep in our comfort and in the greatness of these lives that we have, right? With, with small, you know, we have hardship, we have pain, we have suffering, we have sickness, we have death like everybody else. But by and large, for heaven's sakes, you know what I'm saying? Because some dudes are coming over later, we're going to rip some dirt bikes, we're going to eat some Philly cheesesteaks. Oh, the suffering, Right? Listen, I'm not saying this so you feel bad about your great life. God, thank you so much. He put you here, right? You didn't ask to be born. God put you here for a reason. But I think he always wants us to remember, don't stand at the doorway of your tent and just look afar off. No one understand. God wants to deal with you personally. God wants to have a relationship with you personally, a meaningful, deep one. In verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. This is Moses imploring the Lord, please, please. No, we can't do this without you. And God, I can't do this without you. Boy, that's something else that every single heart should have. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, Moses kind of reiterates, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. God, if you're not leaving this place with us, then don't take us away from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. In that, God was with them. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. You on a first name basis with the Lord this morning? You ever hear him say, whatever your name is? <laughs> Man, not audibly. I don't know about you, but like all the time in my life, like God will stop me. You know, I'll be caught up in some, and either, usually it's just me being a jerk you know, usually it's just me having an attitude about something. And I just, I just, man, I just feel his presence go, Frank. And it's all he's got to do. Just like a great dad. You know what I mean? A good dad. You know, there's those, those dads, those, those dads out there that they only had to say their, your name. Remember? And you're like a little kid and they say your name, Frank, <laughs> you know, and you stop and you listen for awaiting further instructions. Man, it's a great, a great thing to have that same, that same relationship with God. And the thing that has separated every great movement in Christian history, the thing that has, 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 has every amazing uh, uh, revival or, or movement of God's Spirit, has been that when people from without looked within, they saw a situation where God is with these people. 
nobody cares about our words. Nobody cares about how much we know the Bible. Nobody cares about, about all the, the, the things that we say or how many different church services we go to or all the events that we have. Nobody gives a rip. They really don't. Here's what people need to see in 2019. That's where God is. This is what I know, that those people have God with them. And that's attractive to anybody who has eyes to see, ears to hear. Anybody who's seeking the truth, anybody who's seeking the light, that's what they need to see. And Moses said in verse 18 now, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And so we have this beautiful picture, another beautiful picture of the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ because Jesus is called the rock. He is the rock. He is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. All these things. And we are lifted up and stood up. David talks about being set up upon a rock. And his head is now lifted high above his enemies round about. And so Moses says to God, let me see you. Let me see you. God, I want to I see you. I'm feeling so close with you right now. I'm just digging everything you're saying so much. Here's the cloud. Here's the tent. Here's the offering to anyone who come and seek you. I'm here. Josh is here. Probably a few other people are here. Let me see you. And God's like, nice try. <laughs> Moses just wanted more. More. More than this, More. There, there was no amount of God that was too much for Moses to have or to experience at this point. I think Moses would have been content with God letting him see his face and slaying him. You know what I mean? They talk about dying happy. But God says, no, Moses, that's not the way it works. But then he brings about this, 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 this analogy of this rock. I'm going to put you next to this rock and I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to cause all of my goodness to pass before you. In other words, Moses, you are going to be able to, without being glorified, you can't see my face because you're a man, but you are going to be able to bask in my goodness. You are going to be able to bask in my grace and my love towards you because I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. And that's exactly where you find yourself today in Christ hidden in the cleft of the rock. But the same thing holds true for us. Even though we're in Christ, and even though we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there still always have to be, has to be a need that comes from my heart to God. Remember that old hymn, I need thee every hour. I need thee every hour. Man, I need him every hour. Every single hour. That's what God wants. Remember what Jesus said, blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, they'll be filled. They'll be filled. That's a promise. That's a promise. First, we've got to get hungry. We've got to get thirsty. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for um, 
the faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, that you've given us, that we might know where we stand with you because of him. Uh, Lord, we're so grateful for the relationship that you seek to have with us personally, Lord, uh, individually, um, to fill our hearts with peace and, and uh, rest, Lord. We're so thankful for that. Lord, help us to walk in the light as you are in the light. Help us, Father, to always be seekers, to always be um, willing, Lord, to, to leave the camp and go out to the place where you're at, Lord, and to seek after you, not to be afraid, uh, Lord, but to, but to always be willing to go forth and to seek after you, Lord, with all of our hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would continually be filling us. I pray, Lord, that, that each person here would get a taste. Uh, of what it means to seek your face and to find you, Lord. Uh, and that would create in them a hunger and a thirst that would never go away. And one that also you would never stop fulfilling, Lord. Uh, so we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for your word. Uh, and we ask, Lord God, that you would bless the rest of our day, our church day. We pray that you would bless and be with every other church, Lord, all over the world today who are gathered together in Jesus' name and, and teaching your word, Father. We pray that you would be, be present to touch and heal your people today and to bring many into the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.